0: Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. No matter what the New York Times or the Washington Post or The View tries to tell you, Donald Trump, January 6th, Tucker Carlson, the videos are not the only news stories going on. There's actually more going on, and some of the things that are going on are actually quite fascinating. It's actually good news, and one of those pieces of good news is the pushback against woke that we're seeing in the universities across the country. We're seeing it in the University of Wisconsin in places, and then, of course, University of North Carolina, as I've discussed about their DEI requirements and their their litmus test. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. Find everything, Tony Tony tonycats.locals.com Everything is so raining down on us. In this negative way, I was going back, and I'm, and I'm going over the, the things I do. I don't know about you. I don't know if you go over your work or not. I, like, like, like an athlete uh, like watches the tape, I totally listen to the tape. I'm going back over things. I'm like... I didn't hit that right. Like, sometimes I feel like I hit something great like, oh no, I missed that and then I saw I'm going over like the tenor of, of the show and how I'm going about things and you look at some of the stories and they're all super important. like we're hitting the top stories, but holy crap, is that some negative stuff? And if that's what you're you're covering, what are you missing? So I often like to do that because it reminds me to 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 dig deeper and find the story that's missing and one of the things that's missing, is that the pushback against DEI, the pushback against the bigotry of equity is really starting to take hold, and this is fantastic, fantastic news. And I was at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, and my thanks to Relay RelayIndiana, RelayIndiana.com for sending me out there, and I was speaking uh, with, with people. Of course, I was doing the interviews, and one of the people I spoke with is Nicholas Giordano, who I forgot I had been on his podcast a few years ago. Totally good dude. He's a, he's a uh, professor at Suffolk Community College there in New York. He's got the good New York accent. And he focuses on these things. And, and he, he's written about these subjects uh, at, at the New York Post. And I caught him just as he had had a, uh, an op-ed at Fox News. His latest from Fox News. I'm a college professor cheering on this great American pushback against woke education. We saw the move from the University of North Carolina about we're not going to require a DEI statement, a litmus test for administration or for uh, students. Uh, Is this the start of the pushback? Is this the middle of the pushback? What do you see?
1: I think it's the start of the pushback. I wish we were in the middle of the pushback, but this is just the start. It needs to grow much larger. So you're right, North Carolina, uh, there's colleges that have moved towards getting rid of this DEI social justice statement on all applications that require professors applying for the job to basically swear a loyalty oath to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so, unfortunately, if that stays in place, you're going to have college professors who are already ideologues even more go into the groupthink and become even more ideological. So we're seeing pushback in Texas, West Virginia, North Carolina, Florida, and even deep blue New Jersey. Governor Phil Murphy has now called for more scrutiny on DEI spending in the university system, where he saw Rutgers University increase their DEI budget by 40% millions of taxpayer dollars go into this.
0: As a professor, DEI, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, you've heard me discuss this as bigotry, equity does not bring people up, it pushes people down, equity prevents people from being able uh, to to achieve their own goals, we see this in the high school level, we end honors classes because we don't want other students to feel bad while other students excel, but we would never do that on an athletic field, we would never do that in in any uh, sporting event. Um, how are the universities coming to this place of wait we shouldn't do this there has to be something that has happened to them financially or otherwise that makes them say this is this is a valueless a problematic proposition. What do you think that is?
1: Well I think there's a few things going on. So the first is don't underestimate the power of alumni holding back their contributions. I mean if they see that these colleges are moving full steam ahead with this DEI, well they may not contribute anymore. So I think that's part of it. But something that's, that's happening is we've seen progressive professors, liberal professors that have gotten caught up because they said something that someone deemed offensive and, and so they end up getting suspended and lose their jobs. So it's it's hurting them. I mean if you look at the last six months and, and look up college professors that have gotten in trouble, they're not conservatives. It's actually most of the people on the left. And, and they realize that this isn't about education, this is just a mob, it's a witch hunt. The DEI SJ movement is a cultural movement, it's not an academic discipline. Whoa. The D E I what? S J. So,
0: oh, social justice, correct? Uh, like, did, did, were there new letters added? I was because sometimes you hear the B for belonging, and you it's like they're already trying to cannibalize the thing that yes. they're, they're still working on. But I, I didn't hear it right, so keep going.
1: Well, the, and that's the thing. So, they incorporate whenever you criticize a pushback, they say, Well, you don't like diversity. They forget about equity, inclusion, and social justice part to it. But that's the part that's the problem, right? We've had where the United States, we have diversity already, it's embedded in the system. Whereas social justice, it's a political agenda that you're trying to push. And in college, it's not about political agendas. Teach the material, get students to think critically. Unfortunately, this movement has swept up the K-12 through system and the college system, so it's about brainwashing.
0: Talking to Nicholas Giordano, professor at Suffolk Community College. You can find his work over at campusreform.org, campusreform.org. When we discuss this, and we discuss the problems, we discuss the problems that students have, when professors discuss this, or, or the problem it, it puts onto students, uh, teaching this idea of oppressed and oppressor, not actually being about diversity, because there's no diversity of thought that Press. is allowed. When, we, when you talk to other professors about this, left or right, What is their argument against? Because while you're correct, I think you make a great point, never underestimate the power of alumni holding back their checks, but we've seen on so many college campuses that incoming freshmen who know absolutely nothing, three days on campus, all of a sudden they think they can dictate the policies of a campus, and that is often aided and abetted by the professors. So what is happening amongst the professors within DEI that's giving them pause?
1: I think they're extremely worried now because and I hear from professors all over the country but one thing that we're seeing we're seeing large enrollment drops not in the Ivy Leagues and not in some state universities but there's a lot of there's a large enrollment drop and then you have companies like Google IBM all announcing that they're dropping degree requirements so the future of higher education is at stake and you already have parents questioning should I invest all this money for my child to get brainwashed it's a recipe for disaster and I think that's why college professor saying hey wait a minute this is our future and our livelihoods and if we continue down this path we are going to destroy higher i
0: love though that it's a competition conversation in that regard we have
1: who would have thought the capitalism works
0: Me, wait a second, me. But this idea that we're competing, it's a recognition that we're competing against a certificate from Google, we're competing against this um, class uh, that does an 11-week boot camp, next thing you know, you can make six figures coding. We're competing against these things, and we can't compete against these things if we're putting on these radicalness of requirements that provide us nothing. So this isn't so much about ideology as much as it is
1: about survival. Isn't self-preservation? Innovation, the, the history of the world, I mean, that's what it comes down to, and I think there's many professors out there that are realizing they will become obsolete if we continue down this path.
0: I would love for that to be the case. I would be thrilled if there were professors who realized, man, if I keep this up, uh, there's no need for me. My my feel is, and, and my thanks to Professor Nicholas Giordano, uh, good dude, I like him quite a bit. My my feel is, is that the the... The ideological professor, first of all, really believes that tenure is real, as if anything like that applies anyplace else ever. But they believe, just like they believe that tenure is real, that they are imbued with the secret knowledge as, as um, uh, oh, what's his name, screenwriter, Mamet. David Mamet wrote about, oh, such a good book, Secret Knowledge, so good. Uh, you hear Barry Weiss discuss this about her time in the New York Times and others. These people on the political left who believe that they are imbued with the secret knowledge they simply know better and their job is to impart it upon the rest of us but we can't absorb it all they understand it perfectly we cannot absorb it all so they pat us on the head and they give us little drips and tell us how to be better people and they always have one more thing they can correct us on and one more thing they can show us and one more thing they can teach us and one more thing they can tell us always one more way why they know something we don't and they have to impart it upon us when we are ready to accept it and only they can decide when we are ready You know I'm absolutely correct in that. I believe that those people believe that they can so manipulate the system that the university system continues because they can continue to figure out how to get government to actually be the payer of it. Consider the situation. The government gives out the loans. You go through the entirety of the FAFSA and everything else you have to do to get your kid qualified for some kind of financial uh, assistance because the college costs keep going up and up and up unless, of course, it's Purdue University. Thanks, Mitch Daniels. And hopefully the new president, President Mung, will continue that along. Hey, guys, I'm an Indiana guy. I'm going to talk about Purdue. And then the IU people are going to get wicked angry with me and say, hey, we keep our costs low. I'm not saying no. Please don't hate me, Bloomington. Wait, hold on. The vast majority of Bloomington already hates me. I think, I think that's obvious. I've been on the air in Bloomington like less than a month on WGCL. Uh, I, I, I believe they've already organized riots, organized riots to take me out. Actually, I haven't heard a word, which is either really good news that it's full acceptance or, my gosh, I have a lot of marketing to do. It's one or the other. It's one or the other. And so they believe that they can keep the college costs going up because the government will actually pay for it. You're filling out all of this financial aid stuff. You're getting the financial aid. The government knows exactly what's going on. Very often, that's where you're getting your, 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 your dollars from. And then there's a conversation about the fact that the government should pay for it. So the college never has to do anything except increase its costs because they're going to build a way to get paid no matter which way it goes on. I mean, that is, that is for so many people, the plan. Why should they have to deal, as, as Professor Giordano is discussing, in the real world, when they can somehow believe that they have enough people who are like-minded ideological travelers who can keep this shell game going? I hope he's right. But I believe that what he is up against is a tremendous amount of people who think the way I just described. And therefore, it is up to us... To say no to certain things I I used to come across extremely anti-college uh and and what I realized is that I, I was I was not I was not hitting the conversation well enough College is not for everyone. And there is nothing wrong with that. Some people don't need college for what they want to do for a career. There are so many opportunities outside of a university degree to be able to pursue a career, especially when we talk about computer programming and things like that. It isn't necessary for all people. It is necessary for some people. There's a value to higher education. Now, is the value to higher education really at $70,000 a year a la uh, Vanderbilt University? I, I don't see it. Compared to a Purdue or an IU, it really matters that much. Sorry, I'm not I'm not I'm not buying in. I, I'm not. I am not buying in that that's what it requires. So some people don't need it at all, and then some people need to be really honest about what they actually need to spend. And some people feel they have to spend now because having that name, the Harvard name, or, or the Yale name, the Princeton name, the Cal Berkeley name, the, the Vanderbilt name, well, that's what will get them the career, and therefore it will all be worth it. What you're paying into now is just, is just the price you pay to make the money ipso facto, especially when you consider you might have all the student loan stuff dropped anyway. It's a game. In, in that respect, it's super creepy if you ask me. But that is how some people view it. I hope Professor Giordano is right. I just think it's a tremendous uphill battle. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. So is it that Novak Djokovic is not allowed in the country? Is this still a thing? Oh my God, this is still a thing. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. 833-468-8669. 833 468 got Tony. We're talking about the tennis player who I, I guess is not vaccinated. He's the number one ranked tennis player in the world, by the way. He's been denied entry to the U.S. and it seems it's because he will not get the COVID-19 vaccine. DeSantis has jumped in on this and he's like absolutely positively We should get him uh, to be playing. Of course he should be playing in tennis tournaments here in the U.S. We absolutely want that. As a matter of fact, I'd send a boat for him. He He actually said the words. DeSantis telling Biden in a letter... That he should put pandemic politics aside and give the American people what they want. Let Djokovic play. Now you have the White House press secretary discussing this, getting in on this. As for what goes on specifically with the BNP Open, that's the tennis tournament in Indian Wells, California that he's supposed to come to play in, those are questions for them. It is a private entity and so we will speak so we will let them speak to that. But again, this is something that the CDC speaks to. Now, hold on just a just a moment, will you? Because I thought I had a story. And if you're with me on Locals and you're a subscriber, you get the show sheet. The things, the stories that I'm looking at, I put there on the show sheet. Um, COVID testing on travelers from China lifted. This was a story on Newsmax. U.S. officials are set to relax COVID-19 testing requirements on travelers from China as soon as, as Friday. So that was that came out the other day. The Washington Post reported on this, citing three officials. Now, is is, is that what happened? It, it, did, did something change? Or is this still the story? No, no, no. Here it is over at Reuters, US C D C to lift COVID testing requirements from travelers, for travelers from China. So if you're not going to test them, you're just going to trust them that they have a vaccine. According to the CDC, the statement on Wednesday that, quote, public health measure was put in place to protect U.S. citizens and communities as we work to both identify the size of the China COVID surge and gain better insights into the variants that were circulating. The CDC said it will continue to monitor cases in China and around the world. Now I'm confused. I I mean, I've been following the story on the periphery. And I'll take any data you've got on it, guys. You've got data on this story, Tony, at TonyCats.com. I'll take it all. We no longer test people coming in from China. But this tennis player who has refused to take the vaccine, uh, he can't play? You have to be vaccinated to come into the country? This is our argument? This is the argument in 2023? This really is complete and total madness. This is madness. And by the way, DeSantis got in on this saying about the boat, it's a proclamation that prevented non-citizens of of the United States from entering the country via air travel. So if he came in from a boat, uh, he'd be like, yeah, yeah, we'll uh, we'll send the boat for you, and then you can come and, and play because somehow that would be legal. That would be fine. That would be on the up and up, solely and completely. We all understand that this is criminally insane, right? We all understand that this is criminally insane. This idea that uh, Novak uh, Djokovic shouldn't be allowed to play the the, the it, it's beyond twisted. We are kidding ourselves. We are lying to ourselves. This is exactly the kind of garbage that we shouldn't be in favor of. And so when I saw the headline, Corinne Jean-Pierre dodges questions. Well, wouldn't you? How are you supposed to answer this thing? How are you supposed to answer it? By the way, here here was Ron DeSantis saying it. He should be allowed to compete now. I would, run a, I would run a boat from the Bahamas here for him. I would do that, 100%. That's an awesome line. That is an absolutely fantastic line. DeSantis gets a nice little win right there. But one of the rare moments where I'm with Corinne Jean-Pierre, what do you expect her to say? The country's nuts. I can't defend nuts. Just please leave me alone on this. Isn't it enough that I lie to you about everything else? I actually feel for her on this one. Good Lord, what does that say? Congressman Jim Baird of Indiana was there listening to testimony about the horrific uh, extricating of U.S. forces from Afghanistan, and he's got the breakdown. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz Today. Find everything at TonyKatz.Locals.com. Far too many people have forgotten that the withdrawal from Afghanistan was horrific and dangerous. And we left Americans to die. We left Afghans to die. We left women and children to be tortured and abused. We left billions of dollars of U.S. hardware behind to be utilized by Russia or the Chinese or whoever could get there and give the highest bid to the Taliban. We gave up Afghanistan to the Taliban because after 20 years of training a military, they could not stay together for three hours the story of the withdrawal from Afghanistan, the story of Afghanistan as a whole is a story that can be wrapped up in the conversation of failure. And the question is, will we learn from it again? But because of the politics of the day, The entirety of the Afghan withdrawal conversation was just eliminated. We were told by the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, that it was the best maneuver in American history. How we were able to get this done so quickly and so efficiently. Was it indeed efficient? Was it what we wanted? Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Congressman Jim Baird joins me right now from the Indiana 4th District. He serves on the House Armed Services uh, Committee and you sent out uh, a, a, a press statement regarding the testimony that you heard as you called it harrowing testimony from the botched afghanistan withdrawal what is it that the committee heard i said armed services i meant foreign affairs committee house foreign affairs committee what is it that the committee heard that made you say my goodness what did you learn that you didn't already know
2: well you covered a lot of those things uh, tony in the beginning in your prelude but anyway uh it, the, the withdrawal was a disastrous withdrawal and the evacuation and that has led to um that has led to a concern not only by um those that we left behind which were allies as well as american citizens and it's also angered our al angered our allies and consequently uh we are a less safe country uh because of our inability to execute that evacuation the way we should have And so yesterday we heard from witnesses that testified and actually saw some of the atrocities that occurred during that evacuation, uh, including the Taliban uh, abusing uh, soldiers, I mean uh, Afghans, and those that they considered uh, aiding and abetting uh, American soldiers. And so our, our soldiers felt very close to many of those Afghans. And many groups have tried to bring them home as well as bring home American citizens. And we were told many times that uh, there was less than a hundred Americans involved in that situation. And in reality, uh, we have ex- many of those uh, non-military organizations have evac- evacuated more than a thousand Americans. So that kind of that kind of information and misinformation, Certainly concerns our allies, and the concern that we have left people behind uh, in is reducing our ability to to work with uh, other countries around the world. Well, let's and let's take a moment, and- sir,
0: and just go yeah. back to that number that number because we did hear a lot about that. There are only about a hundred uh, Americans that were left behind, and you're saying now that NGOs, non governmental organizations, and others have been able to extricate a thousand u.s citizens so uh who gave the 100 number how are they held accountable and is there a belief that there are still americans in country in afghanistan who do want out knowing that there were some americans who were so desperate to support the afghans that they did indeed refuse to leave
2: and that's and there are there are that that number you're talking about came from the state department uh, they've evacuated 800 the figures i have tony and then the the ngos have have done a thousand uh, more or more and there are still people in afghanistan uh, that are being pursued by the Uh, Taliban. uh they're trying to uh, uh, eliminate them uh, because of their involvement in, uh, in, the, in working with americans and so those those individuals, we really need to work on SIVs to help them get away from uh, that situation, because they're they're really um, uh, abusing their families and their children and their and their wives and so on, including including uh, killing killing some of those individuals right in front of our own soldiers. One of our soldiers told about uh, having witnessed that from
0: them talking to congressman jim baird of the indiana 4th district siv stands for special immigrant visa you talk about our our allies and and how they feel about uh, the withdrawal. So it's a two-part question. Uh, number one, uh, have you spoken to uh, representatives from other nations about how they saw the withdrawal? Have they been honest with you in, in their take? A- and then where can you point to, or can you point to anywhere specifically where relationships between the United States and other nations, projects, um, military uh, connectivity has been frayed because of it?
2: Well, I, th- I think... Uh, all of our NATO allies are concerned about uh, how we stand and whether we we honor our commitments. And, you know, in the military, uh, we are committed, uh, the soldiers are committed to not leaving anyone behind. And this is uh, really frustrating to many of those members because uh, some of those guides and interpreters that work with the American soldiers in Afghanistan uh, were like brothers in a way. And they really tried to help United States uh, soldiers they feel very close and so any of those countries that we have that are in the NATO organization uh, certainly going to look at at how we uh, responded by not taking uh, um, American citizens out of uh, Afghanistan and so I think that emboldens uh, countries like Russia to go into Ukraine I think uh, China is uh, watching our response there and our response around the world. So all of of those uh, individuals, including our adversaries that I just mentioned, Iran is included in that, uh, are looking at our response to this situation and how we did the evacuation. uh, And then that emboldens them to uh, be more aggressive uh, toward our country.
0: Does this require
2: a me. that's a that's a concern to me.
0: Is does this require in in your view uh, a rethink about training in the military is is, is do we properly have uh, as you see it in 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 our training of, of the army the navy the air force marines coast guard etc uh, do we have a proper understanding of how battles in the future are are fought and how relationships with other nations are, are done uh, do do we train to that it, it, it or is or is this less about training and more about how we do this on the political level
2: well I think I think uh, that <clears throat> there's always room for improvement in training when we learn from our experiences and and even the bad ones we learn things but I think I think politicizing this issue is a concern to me we need to honor our soldiers and uh, our our Military personnel, because they make a commitment, they take an oath to protect this country. And I think we have an obligation to protect them and we have an obligation to protect those that they feel uh, need our support. And so training is always a part of, the, of any kind of a, a military operation, but I can tell you this, uh, we have really uh, outstanding soldiers and they protected our country for 20 years. That, that Afghanistan uh, um, uh, war went on for two decades. And we need to be proud of our soldiers that protected our country uh, after the uh, 9-11 incident. And so uh, I want those soldiers to understand, because some of those soldiers were concerned yesterday about whether their, their efforts were in vain. And I want you to know, Tony. I they they were not in vain. We had 20 years of safety because of of uh, their efforts to to confront um, the Taliban and ISIS and and keep them at bay. And that was uh, extremely important to our country. And I want those people to know how much we appreciate it
0: talking to Congressman Jim Baird of the Indiana 4th District. Of course, sir, you served in, in Vietnam. Um, you, you, you have uh, received uh, the, the Bronze Star with a V device, as, as your biography reads, and two purple hearts. Uh, so when you talk about the military and you talk about fighting for the country, it is understandable uh, and commendable how personal it is to you. But as you look at how we handled Afghanistan, the, uh, of how we trained Afghan forces, did we do it right? After 20 years to watch the country completely collapse in a matter of hours, one has to ask, if we're, doing, uh, if we're taking a look
2: honestly, did we do it right? Did we? Well, I think we trained right, Tony. I think we trained right. The problem was that we didn't, we didn't uh, coordinate an evacuation that was effective and realistic. I mean just to have a hasty evacuation and leave folks behind sent the wrong message around the world. Had we had we used a more coordinated and a more effective withdrawal, that would not have happened and we could have we could have maintained control of the situation and our allies around the world would have respected us. Let me move the subject to Indiana. Because okay. we saw the train derailment
0: in East Palestine. We know that these dioxins, these chemicals, this vinyl chloride, other things, poured into the Ohio River, into the ground itself. There's a remediation, there's a cleanup, they had the control burns, what went into the air. And then we learned that some of the material was going to head to Indiana, to Rochdale, Indiana. And I believe that is your district. Now, this is an area that has a landfill, that takes uh, this kind of of toxic waste, if you will. But there was a question about the dioxins and whether or not this should have been delivered there. The governor, Eric Holcomb, uh, requiring a testing, the testing showing that the materials did not contain any harmful levels of dioxins compared to acceptable levels established by the EPA. Were you, as a member of Congress notified that this would be coming to your district. Did you have any concerns, and what is the situation now? Have the, has this waste been delivered
2: to Rochdale? There's some of it that has come to Rochdale, and it's been halted. But I made significant efforts to, to put a stop to that when I saw that Michigan was not accepting it, and some other uh, states like Texas, I think, uh, weren't accepting this material. So I decided that we needed to have uh, testing on both ends uh, the EPA from when before they loaded it and then or on the loads and then on this end to make sure that we knew what we were actually getting now you know the um, heritage environmental the facility there in Putnam County uh, certainly has the capability and is not uncommon for them to handle this kind of material but I think out of respect for the and I especially appreciate uh, those people in East Palestine, uh, and, the, and what they've gone through, and you know, anytime time, and you know, I'm not the controlled burn. Uh, anytime you burn a compound that has a chloride in it, uh, one of the things you're going to get is a, is dioxin, and it needs to be uh, tested so that we know what level and so on. Now, I understand; it's my understanding that they took the top layer of soil off and they disposed of that in another way. So we're getting the layers below those, uh, that top layer uh, in Putnam County. But nonetheless, uh, my recommendation was, and I sent a letter with Senator Braun uh, to the EPA uh, suggesting that we need to do that and we need to have disclosure of what the compounds are, what the concentration is, and uh, what the concerns and safety measures that we need to use. So, uh, and yes, Governor Holcomb asked for uh, independent testing, and I think that's all good. So you
0: are okay, and the people of Putnam County are okay. This town of Rochdale are okay with this being delivered there because you do have that group Heritage and Viro, and this is what they do. They've been doing it for years.
2: Yes, and my concern, my concern, Tony was just was that the EPA and the uh, Department of Transportation certainly needed to let the people know exactly what was going on, and be transparent about it, and how what kind of exposure they're being uh, exposed to, because you know from the geek from East Palestine to Putnam County, you're going to have to travel in some manner, and it's going to be across the roads, and so that's why I. Uh, Feel that the trans- Department of Transportation needs to be involved as well.
0: Congressman Jim Baird from the Indiana 4th District, uh, the western parts of Indiana. I appreciate you taking the time uh, to be with us. Uh, we'll speak uh, more as uh, more conversations about Afghanistan move forward. I appreciate you taking the time. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz. Rise away. general motors offering buyouts it's not as sexy as you think because the buyouts are for the white collar employees it's the buyout offer to a majority of salaried workers tony katz tony katz today it's good to be with you it's from the ceo mary barra and saying hey um want to leave The Voluntary Separation Program being offered to all U.S. salaried employees who have spent five or more years at the company. Outside the U.S., it's offering buyouts to executives with at least two years of time or more. They're going to take a pre-tax charge of up to a billion and a half related to the buyouts because they have to rework their cost structure. They have to rework their strategy. Now, the question that I have is when is this going to apply to the guy who works on the factory floor? If you're going to engage buyouts of, of 500 salaried in, in employees, uh, by the way, it's got to be more than 500. I don't know why I said 500. Why did I say 500? Because there are 81,000 salaried employees so that's what the buyout is for. Okay, it's 500 because they're going to terminate about 500 salaried positions. All right, I knew I wasn't crazy. I knew I saw it. I'm like, where'd that come from? They're going to get rid of 500 salaried employees. They have about 81,000 salaried employees worldwide, and the majority of those are getting the opportunity for the voluntary separation program. My question is, what do you what do you, what do you get? Like, is it is it like a six-month severance? Is it a year severance? Is it a... That's what I'd be curious about. But when they offer this on the, in the plants, that's when it gets really, really interesting. Oh, by the way, uh, just so Joe Biden knows, everything with the economy is fine. This isn't a problem whatsoever. None whatsoever. Find everything. tonycats.locals.com, tonycats.locals.com. Tomorrow, everyone.
2: Take care.